Hello everybody, welcome to Health Hackers episode 24. I'm Gemma Evans, I'm a journalist and presenter here in the UK and this is my series devoted to getting inside the minds of some of the most pioneering people in health, wellness and mindset. My guest today is the internationally best-selling psychological crime fiction author Sophie Hanna. She's the talented writer behind numerous titles including the recent Poirot novels but one of her newest books isn't a crime thriller. It's a self-help book and it's called How to Hold a Grudge from Resentment to Contentment, The Power of Grudges to Transform Your Life. Yes, if you are watching the video version of this podcast, the book cover is back to front, but that's because we're filming this episode in selfie mode. Sophie, thank you for meeting me here at your publishers in London to talk about the book. Um, Thank you for having me on. I've been really enjoying it. And um, one of the first points of interest for me was when you described why you decided to write this book. And it came about because you had this conversation with your sister where you were trying to work out whether or not you were a doormat. Tell yes. us about that. So something had happened, and I can't even remember what at this point, but I was telling my sister about it, and whatever the situation was, I felt that I had behaved like a doormat. I'd agreed to something or let someone trample all over me. And so I said jokingly to my sister, I might write a book one day, a self-help book called How to Be a Doormat. And she said, well, don't do that because you're not a doormat. What you are is someone who holds grudges. And I sort of laughed and said, isn't everyone someone who holds grudges? And she said, well, no, not in quite the way you do. You really, you know, think about your grudges in detail and you seem to enjoy having them. And I realised that that was true. I enjoyed having my grudges and I felt very unwilling to give them up. And whenever I read a self-help book of a sort of traditional kind, and they're usually based in sort of positive thinking and they usually say don't hold a grudge because it will only make you feel bitter and make you unhappy and do harm in the world I would always think no no that doesn't apply to my grudges my grudges make me feel great I enjoy them there's no negative feelings associated with them at all I literally just use them as kind of important stories from my life that I want to remember because I can learn from them and be inspired by them and protect myself from further harm. So I'd always read these self-help books and thought, this is a great theory, but I can't do it because I'm not giving up my grudges. Um, So then when my sister said that I was someone who who held grudges, I I said again frivolously, oh, well, maybe I'll write a self-help book called How to Hold a Grudge. Then I went away and looked on Amazon to see what books there were on the subject of grudges because I thought it's such a common phenomenon holding a grudge you know every crime novel every song every movie you know grudges are everywhere there must be loads of books about them there must be books that will look at the subject in psychological detail and explain why some personality types are more likely to hold grudges and others are less likely to And there was not a single book to be found on the subject of grudges. I mean, there's plenty of books about forgiveness and anger and vaguely related topics, but there was no single book specifically on the subject of grudges. So then I thought, actually, I really am going to write a self-help book called How to Hold a Grudge, in which I can explain why I think grudges are good for us. Well, tell us that now, because... In the book, when you get the book, everybody, you will see that Sophie has written about something called the grudge fold path. Yes. And this is a specific technique that you apply to your grudges. Talk us through how that works. 
So the name, the Grudgefold Path, was kind of inspired by Buddhism, which has the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment. Um, and so the title is slightly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I don't, in all seriousness, expect people to say, I am following the Grudgefold Path. Um, but my technique of how we should approach our grudges does involve writing them down, folding them up. That's where the fold comes from. Um, okay, so the theory, basically is that if we think that grudges are a bad thing, which we are conditioned to do, we're all brought up being told that holding a grudge is not nice, forgiving people is nice, and this is what we should all aspire to, and most of us believe it. And so what happens then is that when someone does something grudge-worthy, which people do all the time, other people and we ourselves are not perfect, we all behave badly sometimes, and so grudges are going to crop, crop up often, um, and when that happens, we will naturally and quite justifiably have some negative feelings. And if we believe we shouldn't hold a grudge, what we'll do is we'll try and repress or deny or invalidate those negative feelings. And other people around us will do the same. Other people will say, don't hold a grudge. It'll only make you feel bad. Mm -hmm. Forgive them and move on. And in a funny sort of way, although everyone who says that means well... What happens is that then the negative feelings, which are unavoidable and completely natural, will kind of become defensive and think, well, hang on a second, I, I have every right to be here. I am anger and I, I'm here for a good reason. Don't tell me I shouldn't be here. And then your anger gets kind of stronger, even if you really try to repress it and pretend you're not angry and pretend you've moved on and forgiven, that anger has not been processed it's been pushed down and denied and invalidated and actually that strengthens it and then you might end up in a situation where you're pretending that you've forgiven someone and you've got all these lovely peaceful thoughts and then one day you're in the supermarket and a complete stranger walks a little bit too close to you and you find yourself ramming your trolley into them going get out of my way and that happens all the time doesn't it you know people in public situations suddenly explode with inappropriate levels of rage um, so I believe that we should adopt precisely the opposite approach. We accept that people are going to do things which we feel are grudgeworthy. When those things happen, we're going to have negative feelings about them. And instead of thinking, must forgive, must move on, we first need to give ourselves permission to feel whatever it is we feel. So we think, okay, that was grudgeworthy. I'm going to hold a grudge about that. And what that means is telling yourself or writing down the story of what happened, identifying the lessons you can learn from that, categorizing the grudge, grading the grudge. I've got in the book, there's a whole explanation of how to categorize and grade your grudge, how to check whether it's a valid grudge, all the steps you need to go through. So making a list of lessons you can learn, how you've benefited from having that grudge in your life or might benefit from it. Now, all of this process involves you in a constructive creative activity you're you're you've given yourself the right to hold your grudge then you're doing what you need to do to actually create your grudge and understand it and analyze it and grade it and categorize it by the time you've done all that the negative feelings which you haven't tried to banish or invalidate in any way you just naturally find that they move on much more quickly and pretty soon you're writing down the lessons you've learned from your grudge story and the anger or annoyance or upset 
is barely there anymore. I certainly have found that since I've been following the grudge fold path, I barely put any energy into negative feelings at all. I don't have the spare sort of brain energy because I'm immediately thinking, oh, that was a grudge-worthy thing, so now I need to go, I need to write my grudge story, what can I learn from it? And it really does work incredibly well. And the, the first step to getting onto the grudge fold path is to realise that contrary to what every dictionary says, a grudge is not the negative feelings. So the negative feelings are just feelings that you have when the grudge sparking incident occurs, and they might stay a long time or a short time. The grudge itself is not those feelings, and the feelings can pass um, almost immediately or after a couple of weeks, and you can still have your grudge story, which has you know continued relevance and significance in your life, and so most of my grudge stories that I've included in the book have no negativity associated with them anymore. They're just stories I enjoy because they are the emotional and psychological landmarks. Well, I'm, I'm amazed at that because some of those stories in the book really riled me and made me angry. Uh, will you actually tell us one of your favourite grudge stories and then show us how you apply the grudge fold path to it so that you're you're getting the lessons from it so that you've ended up in this place where you're no longer angry about what happened in the stories is there is there a favourite one from the book that you particularly like um I mean the ones that are in the book are all of my favourites so as well as a self-help book this book is a sort of anthology of my personal favourite grudge stories and also the, the most significant ones, the ones that I've learnt yeah. most from. Uh, one of my favourites, uh, which in the book is called Michael Upside Down in the Doorway. It's is a very about, funny one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a completely absurd and yet true story um, where I was staying overnight with some friends of mine, Michael and Linda, and I'd gone to bed, I'd turned off the light, I'd closed the door, and suddenly in the middle of the night, I awoke with a, with a sort of frightened jolt, and I realised that the door was open and the light was on. And it was, it was definitely the middle of the night, I was you know, woken from a deep sleep. And I realised that Michael, my host, was in my room, and he was sort of bent double in the doorway, looking under the bed that I was sleeping in. And I mean, luckily I was dressed in a appropriate and modest fashion in some old pyjamas or something, but that could have been quite embarrassing. But he was looking under the bed um, and I, I kind of went, uh, what time is it? And he sort of said, oh, well, you know, it's three in the morning. Sorry to wake you up, uh, but I'm looking for the dog. And then as he was saying that, his wife, Linda, shouted out, oh, it's okay, Michael, the dog's in here. Now, Linda was in the room next door, which was Michael's home office, and I realised that before they'd even looked for the dog in any other part of the house where nobody was sleeping, they'd come into... Michael had come into my room first, turned the light on, opened the door, looked under the bed, uh, and so I decided that was definitely grudge-worthy, because if you've got a guest staying in your house... I mean, okay, if, you need, if you're worried about your dog, then it's fine to wake up a guest. I get that. I'm a dog lover myself. But he had to check the other room first. You would ch wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd check the other room. I'm amazed you managed to go back to sleep after this. I would have been lying awake, <laughs> fuming. <laughs> well, I went back to sleep, and I thought to myself before going back to sleep, this is something I need to think about properly. I'm too tired now. I want to go back to sleep, but I'm going to think about this because instinctively and subconsciously without realizing it that 
incident linked up with lots of other incidents in the backstory of my relationship with Michael, and there was a common theme of him disturbing my sleep. And so once I put all these stories together, I thought, okay, this is something that, you know, this is officially not okay. And that's one of the reasons why I think holding grudges is good for us, if we do it in the right way. Because when you say to yourself, this is grudgeworthy, this is not okay, and I'm going to allow myself to create this grudge as a sort of symbolic commemoration of the fact that something not okay was done, it's sort of a way of affirming to ourselves that we deserve to be treated well. So if I'd just forgiven Michael instantly, moved on, not remembered the story and behaved no differently and sort of adopted a clean slate policy, then that, in my opinion, would be sort of signalling to the world and to myself that it's fine for Michael to treat me in that way and I decided it wasn't fine. So by allowing myself to have that grudge, I can absolutely feel positive towards Michael and still like him and still be friends with him, which I, I am. But the grudge asserts the fact that it mattered that he did that mm -hmm. and it enabled me to change my thoughts and behaviour around him. So now I don't stay in his house. If I want to see him, I arrange it so that I can see him and Linda without staying in their house. And I make sure that I never put myself in a situation where Michael has the opportunity to disturb my sleep because I know that that's something he might do. So it's about learning a lesson and noting that grudges don't have to be corrosive and negative. You've learnt something, you've learnt to almost expect these kind of scenarios with Michael. So you've turned it into a positive. Absolutely. So one thing I say in the book is that if your grudge has any negative effects on you, on your grudgee, that's the person you hold the grudge about, so Michael in this case would be the grudgee, if your grudge eats you up with bitterness and resentment then that is harming you so that's not good you need to process that grudge in the way that I explain in the book um, if your grudge is harming anyone else so if my grudge about Michael was making me snap at him swear at him throw a custard pie at him that would that would not be good uh, I'm, I'm very much against retaliation of any kind or any sort of bad behaviour on the part of the grudge holder. Just because you've got your grudge doesn't mean you can behave badly to anyone. Um, so for me, that's a crucial part of it, that, that you can only hold grudges in a good and benign and helpful way if they're not harming anyone. Um, and so the way you avoid harming anyone is your grudge is just literally a story that has a sort of live relevance or significance charge. It's like a bookmark in your mind associated with that person. You can still like them, you can still love them, you know, you can have a grudge about your closest friend or your partner or whoever. Um, and that bookmark, that grudge story in your mind, achieves so many benefits. So first of all, it can protect you. If Michael disturbed my sleep on a future occasion I wouldn't be shocked I wouldn't be devastated it would have no impact on me because I just know that that's going to happen because I remember my grudge story um, it can empower you because the grudge enables you to think because of this which I am remembering and choosing to define as important I am now going to behave and think differently because this matters it gives you a sense that justice 
is being done insofar as it can be. You know, most of the transgressions that we all suffer on a daily basis are not things we could take to the old Bailey, uh, are not things that are going to generate any prison sentences, and yet often the reason we can't forgive people is because we feel, if I forgive her, then she's just got away with it, scot-free, and Mm. I've just been done to, and I've had no agency myself. Allowing yourself to hold your grudge as a commemorative justice object lets you know that the person didn't get away with it because you've now got your grudge and you are going to behave differently and protect yourself. And weirdly, that enables you to forgive them much more readily and quickly. So I forgive everybody. There's nobody that I can think of, nobody who's done anything bad to me at all that I haven't forgiven. I haven't got any residual negative feelings. What I've got is an amazing set of stories that are significant to me, my grudge stories, from which I've learned brilliant lessons and been able to protect myself. I know from the book you said that you don't believe in cutting anyone off, and you've just said you've forgiven everybody. You you come across as very, very accepting. And when I read these stories about the things people have done to you, you have to read the book, everybody. Um, some of it, them are very comic, silly, yeah, bad behaviours. It makes you and laugh. some of them are more serious, upsetting Yeah, some of, the, some of them made me want to cry. But um, <laughs> I thought, you must just be an incredibly forgiving person. Did it, did it feel therapeutic, writing them down? It did feel therapeutic, absolutely. And which is why, that's one of the reasons why I say, crucial part of the grudge processing um, procedure is writing it down the minute you write something down and this is almost so obvious I probably don't need to say it but I think it does need saying because this is what's important about it I might have a grudge story in my head and that's you know I might be fashioning it into a story and learning lessons from it but there's something about actually writing it down and analysing it on paper and making a list of what you've learned from it on paper or on a, a computer, which is even more beneficial than just doing it in your head. Um, so if you can actually do it on paper, it's even better because what that does is in a very real and sort of factual way, gets the grudge out of you and onto the paper. Mm. So then it's an object that's not in you, it's an object that's next to you. Um it makes a difference it's like there's my grudge it doesn't it's not doesn't need to be part of me it's a story I've written it down and it helps to give you a bit of objective distance and that sort of sense that it's an object in its own Mm -hmm. right um so that's very important but in terms of being forgiving Mm -hmm. one of the chapters in the book is about what kind of person is more likely to hold grudges and certainly for me, this may not be true of of other people who hold grudges, but one of the reasons I am so keen on holding grudges and always have is that I fear that I'm a too forgiving person. There There are people still in my life who, if they'd done what they've done to me, to almost anyone else I know, they would have kind of thought, okay, that's enough having you in my life. I don't like... It's not that I think it's wrong to cut people off. I I would never say that. But for me, it doesn't feel like something I want to do if I can possibly avoid it. For me, it feels that there's something pessimistic and destructive and overly dramatic about saying, you are dead to me. 
I will no longer ever see you. And sometimes cutting someone off leads to further confrontation because if you've got mutual friends, you've suddenly got the the politics of people getting in touch with you, why won't you speak to such and such? And I hate confrontation. And and it kind of whips up a whole load of new grudges because then you're annoyed at person A, B and C for potentially getting involved in your decision to cut someone off. It's certainly something that all mutual acquaintances would then take a position on and you'd probably have people lobbying you to uncut them off, to, you know, reverse your decision. None of that is why I don't like it as a policy. The the reason I don't like cutting people off personally is I never instinctively want to do it. I, I just don't want to. If someone has done something really wrong and damaging to me, what I want to do is change my thoughts and behaviour so that I can protect myself in future, acknowledge that what they did was wrong in a way that makes me feel that I haven't kind of tried to sugarcoat it or sweep it under the carpet. And once I've done that and I've got my grudge, that feels like I've done enough of a thing that I've made it clear that I don't accept the behaviour, but it enables it. Here's the other great thing about grudges, and I've only just thought of this now. I keep thinking of new benefits. Holding grudges in the way I'm suggesting enables you to reject a behaviour or a treatment of of yourself or someone else without necessarily rejecting the person. Mm-hmm. And I feel that is really important because we all make mistakes. We all we all probably do hurtful and suboptimal things to other people. Well, yeah, yeah, the book actually also made me look back and think I must have offended people somewhere at some time and have. not known. Yeah, we all have. And, and one of the things I say in the chapter called How to Be a Responsible Grudge Holder is think about who might have grudges about you. Are any of them ones where you think, yeah, actually, I did do something wrong? And if so, can you say sorry still? Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can do to sort of make it better? Um, but, yeah, I don't want to be rejecting people because they've done something wrong or bad because that to me is just like the death of hope I always want to be able to think whatever you've done in the past I'm always going to treat you like someone who might do something nice and and often that works Mm. you know some of the people that I have continuing close relationships with despite the fact that they might have done this that or the other that really upset me in the past often you know that relationship goes on to be better and things improve and I would have actually lost something that I didn't want to lose if I'd just said you never quite forget it but yeah I can imagine I mean I know I'm still friends with people who have really offended me and hurt me in the past but I think in a in a kind of grudge grudge fold pathway I've learned not to be surprised if it happens Mm. again or something similar happens um Grudges feature heavily in your fiction writing too. We cannot not talk about (laughs) Sophie's success. Um, She has had books published in 49 languages in 51 territories and she writes the the continuation novels for the Agatha Christie series. Tell Tell us what that means. What that means is that I write novels featuring Hercule Poirot who is Agatha Christie's famous Belgian detective, you know, star of Murder on the Orient Express and many other books. Mm -hmm. And in 2014, I was asked by Agatha Christie's family and estate and publishers to write a new Poirot novel, uh, which is something they hadn't hadn't done before, but they wanted to have a a continuation novel starring Poirot. Um, And it all was a a brilliant experience, went really well, and, and we've done it again twice more so I've so far written three 
Poirot novels, um, the latest of which is called The Mystery of Three Quarters. Um, and so that's sort of one strand of my crime writing. And then I also write contemporary psychological thrillers, which, which on the surface are very different from my Poirot novels, because my Poirot novels are set in 1929, 1930. Um, but even my contemporary crime novels... I can see a strong Agatha Christie influence in them because she's always been my favourite crime writer. So the kinds of story structures and plot hooks that I tended to come up with even before I was writing Poirot were definitely uh, influenced by Agatha. And some of the grudges in your fiction writing, do any of those come from your real life and then enhanced or change slightly i mean almost definitely yes yes in fact i just needed to run through in my head yeah i mean often it i i never take things sort of wholesale from real life but often if for example i write a crime novel where the motivation is someone's very angry with someone for betraying them mm. very often the reason i'm interested in writing that is because I'm angry with someone who's betrayed me, but in a totally different context. So certainly the sort of emotional truth of how one might feel after a particular kind of transgression, um, real-life instances of that do influence my fiction, for sure. And do any of your friends say, I read that book and I know that was me? I know, I know it was me you were describing, in a negative way. The Has anyone only, been offended? The only time people have ever said I recognise that real situation it hasn't they've been wrong oh yeah yeah I mean quite maybe two or three times people have said oh I know that character's based on me that baddie is based on me and that and they never have been um I always change things sufficiently I think uh so that no one's going to kind of recognise when I began reading the bit in the book about your brother and his then wife because it wasn't clear that he was no longer with the wife until the end of that section. I read the whole thing thinking, oh my goodness, Sophie is not speaking very nicely about this woman and she must still be married ah, but remember, to her brother. Oh my gosh, she must be so offended at the this beginning, woman. At the beginning of the book I say that superficial details of every story have been changed. So the, the true important bits of the story are true, but superficial details like what family member names okay. locations all of that has been changed so in fact i don't have a brother so i i always so that that story about so, my brother and his wife mm. is absolutely true and it's about two people in my life but no one's going to object to it because i don't have a brother to recognize himself it's <laughs> a really funny story it's about a painting and the sister-in-law insists or she doesn't actually verbally insist that it gets hung in your new house. But no, well, it's, the, the it's weirder than that. The, the brother, so, so for the purposes of the story, my brother was so worried that when he and his wife came round to my new house, if the painting that she had given me was not up on the wall, he was worried that, that she would be furious and cause a scene. Uh, and I regarded this as highly grudgeworthy because I'd only just moved house and all my possessions were in boxes. Nothing was up on the wall. And he was putting pressure on me to spend time I didn't have making sure this picture was up so that she didn't get offended that yeah. it wasn't up. And the grudgeworthy thing, in my opinion, was that he should have been saying to her, 
if we go around and the painting isn't up, don't assume that means they don't like the painting. Mm -hmm. Instead, assume it means they've just moved house and haven't put paintings yeah, up Yeah, and yet. you were really busy at that time. I think you were promoting a couple of your novels and you were picking up children and you didn't actually have time to go and unpack. But uh, we're up on time. Can you tell us where we can find out more about you? I know you've got a podcast about grudges. Yes. So the and, podcast, and an email that people can ask questions to as well. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So if anyone has thoughts about grudges and uh, would like to have them discussed and aired on my podcast, it is called How to Hold a Grudge, like the book, and it can be found on all platforms where podcasts are found so itunes spotify and all the others those are the only two i actually know because i'm i'm not i'm not a young techie person you've had some great guests on your podcast have you um have you discovered anything about yourself since you've been doing this because this is your first self-help book it is and you've obviously met a lot of people that you've had on the show psychotherapists and i wonder is there anything is there anything to come are you going to do a, a follow-up about Something else, it, there's, there certainly will be more to come. I'm, oh. not, I'm not sure exactly what form it will take. But one of the reasons I wanted to do the How to Hold a Grudge podcast is that as I was writing the book, I was coming up with so many more insights and discoveries and things I wanted to explore. And I didn't want the book to be too long. So actually the podcast is different and new material so it's not just a repetition of the book and the podcast is completely free to listen and subscribe and download um, and if you want to email me any thoughts about grudges the email address is sophie at sophiehanna.com brilliant um, so thank yes. you so much and uh viewers if you are watching on youtube don't forget to go and subscribe and if you're listening on itunes you can subscribe there too and even leave us a nice review if you're mm -hmm. in a good mood uh thank you and i'll see you next time on health Goods. bye bye